Voting isn't just about going to the polls on election day anymore. There's lots of options out there like voting early, mail-in voting, and drop boxes are available to more voters and are growing in popularity. How to Vote, a tool created by Democracy Works, breaks down the options your state offers for casting a ballot, empowering you to decide when and where to vote. Democracy works best, friends, when we all vote, but misinformation and confusion about election procedures have resulted in a low voter turnout. How to Vote is this tool that was created by Democracy Works, and it takes the guesswork out of the voting process. So make sure that you sign up to vote Decide when and where you'll vote this year and how to, because we need you to get out there and vote. Make sure you have the appropriate ID. Make sure you find your polling site. Make sure you check your voter registration status because every vote counts. Space makers, if you're like me, you like to have an accessory that stands out. So for me, I like a big, bold earring. And that's why I love the work of my co-host. She has an incredible handmade jewelry line made from recycled and repurposed leather. We are all about repurposing friends. Her work you can find on Instagram at the J shop dot the J. J, just the letter J. You can also find her work at etsy.com slash shop slash shop the J. And when you check out, use code MAKINGSPACEPOD for 15% off your purchase. I'm telling you, these are my favorite earrings and they're such a statement piece and people will be definitely making space for you in these. We here at the Making Spaces podcast believe that politics are important, that they matter, and that you should care about it too. Even though this is a presidential election, there are many more candidates on the ballot besides the president. Yes, those other names mean something, and they do jobs that mean something. So go to Ballot Ready for a nonpartisan guide to your entire ballot. From there, you can compare candidates based on stances on issues, biography, or endorsements, and then save your choices to use when you vote by mail or in the voting booth. You can even request your absentee ballot or make a plan to vote early or on election day. This election matters, so make sure you have a plan to vote and to vote informed. I mean, we know that this year has been crazy. The U.S. Postal Service is under attack. We all feel a certain type of way about it. So make your vote matter. Make it count. Make sure it gets there on time by going to BallotReady.org and entering your address to make a plan to vote and to vote informed. Be informed. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Making Spaces podcast. I am Sarah, and this is Josie. Why this is. Well, it walk. sounded like you were going to say this is the Making Spaces podcast. And here um, is. Okay. Well, hi. Welcome to the Making Spaces podcast. Is what I said. So I said it in the start. So. <laughs> Why would I say it twice? We're really good at podcasting. I don't know. I don't know. It's late. We had a really great long day, but this is... Josie? Thank you. (laughs) It's so confusing. This is... I don't know. I don't know. Am I saying the grammar wrong? I don't know. Maybe I'm just... My co-host joining me in her bathrobe is... Josie. Josie. And we're so glad uh, to be together. It has been a great long day. We had our first regathering moment together. We did communion with our community, and it was great. Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I called out a couple things. I predicted the future. Sarah didn't believe me, but we um, were going to move our pews outside, and some of them were too long to go through the doorways and the curvature of the building or whatever. And ever since we started planning, I was like, Sarah, why are we planning this out so much? These boys, these men, these almost children are going to say, hey, let's just hop them over the railing real quick. And sure enough, that's what happened. They were like, let's just lift it over the railing. These giant mahogany pews. Let's just lift them over the railing. And I would like to say that your partner, he was the one who started this. Yeah, I knew it. (laughs) but it was great and it was really good and i didn't realize how beautiful it would be to be with everyone i know and they signed liability waivers so so we're all good we scanned (laughs) foreheads we made sure everyone was healthy 
Yeah, it was good. Everybody was far apart, wearing masks. Super far no apart. Singing. No singing, although beautiful music played in the background. We're pretty hardcore. Yeah, but it was still... I think we forget like the importance of proximity to people. I know we, we made space for it. We did make space for it and it was great. Uh, and I just got back from uh, a trip that we'll talk more about. I'm sure we'll do some episodes on it. I, as you know, if you've been following along with the story of our podcast, but also my personal life, I bought a 1973 Airstream um, and I went out to see it this week. And uh, proceeded to have a breakdown <laughs> about whether or not I could actually own it, whether or not I was capable of this job. It is going to be probably the biggest thing I've ever remodeled in my entire life. Not it, maybe, no, it's not a maybe, like it's for sure going to be the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And I took it to a like expert. By the way, in Tennessee, they don't like tell you. So it was like rural Tennessee. My dear friend, Dan, he um, bought this trailer for me and I was buying it from him. And someone in his, like where he lives had said that this was like, there is this guy who's this like famous Airstream remodeler, but no, he doesn't advertise. So everyone in town was like, you're just going to cross over this bridge about a mile and on the left you'll see him. Nobody told us anything more than that. And we went and saw him and he is this wonder, like incredible craftsman, but he's a little bit misogynist. So I come rolling up. Um, and he says to my dad, how long do you give her? And he's like, what do you mean? How long do I? And my dad was confused by the question. He thought like, how long was it going to take me? And my dad said about 12 months. He goes, I give her four months before she quits. My dad was like, she's tenacious. And I stayed up all night worrying <laughs> that I wasn't going to be able to do this trailer. And then what did this trailer mean anyway? Why have I wanted to do this? And so uh, I feel like I'm coming off of like a massive project. Uh, you know, and it looks great on Instagram, right? Like here I am going to see the vintage trailer, how hipster and cool of me. And my good friends came by and I haven't seen my family in 10 months. So it was so great. But then I had that moment of like, I can't do this. So I got real honest about it because I feel like too many people aren't honest about that stuff. I mean, I don't know. I would have told that guy to be like, I'll do it in four months. I'll finish <laughs> it in four months just to piss you off, just I to prove you wrong. Quit my job. All I will do is restore. <laughs> I will <laughs> go in poverty because it's going to be so expensive to do. Uh, so if anyone wants to sponsor any part of redoing this project, that would be awesome. We'll let you borrow it for a party or something. <laughs> for a party. It'll be an event space. Actually, it 100% is all about making space for me. Like I just, I get so excited thinking about like you and your partner rolling around in it, like other people getting to use, not like driving around in it. I don't want to think about you and your partner rolling around in it, <laughs> just to be clear. <laughs> don't tickle out one. Uh, stop it. <laughs> um, I'm really excited about this week's episode because Mandy is one of my dear friends and you let me talk to her. Thank you so much because I feel like I um, talked a lot in this episode, but I was really excited about it. I was um, having fun listening, you know. Sometimes you just got to listen, interject when you feel the need. I, I was it. chilling. I thought it was great. Yeah. So she is the lead pastor of First United Methodist Church, which is in downtown um, Los Angeles. And it's completely an outdoor church. They like literally, everyone always talks about like churches shouldn't have walls. This church literally has no walls. None. Yeah. And as an LA native in summer, you know how hot it gets in freaking downtown Los Angeles with all those freaking buildings everywhere. <laughs> and it does. So it's a true testament to the resilience, the perseverance of people. The people. And this episode, I think, asks like really important questions like, how do you feel about Josie's lipstick and hat? Because you were killing, you might just be in a bathroom now. Friends, aren't you sad that you can't? see on youtube the intros but uh can you show mary as a homeless non-white teenager who isn't married in the heart of the city they did this oh, great yeah yeah um <laughs> install uh what is hallmark going to do for christmas movies this year lots of scarves are we doing masks anyone have any thoughts about hallmark movies think about it and then I think one of the most important questions is how many times can I say Andrew Lloyd Wright instead of Frank Lloyd Wright? Because I was thinking 
Andrew Lloyd Webber slash Frank Lloyd Wright. And I just made them into one name. But I know that Frank Lloyd Wright is the Art Deco designer. Guys, I know that. I don't think I did. I Yeah, I don't think I did. Did I? You're the art student. How did you not know that? It's architecture. It's different. It is different, although I love architecture so much. I know much. the movements. I don't know the people. Ooh, I know the movements. I don't know the people. That's pretty much the theme of my life, though. Most of the time, I sing any song. I'm like a jukebox. I'll sing any song. I'll know all the lyrics. And people are like, who sings that song? And I was like, I don't know. What's their name song? I don't know. There's no <laughs> lyrics. <laughs> well, uh, Frank Lloyd Wright is, if you look up his history, he's actually not a great human, um, mm. I believe. Now I'm just saying that. Look him up. Uh, but I listened. Who was back then, though? Who, who was? In the age of Gatsby, who was a good human? Hey, you know who he is? Let's see. You know his style of architecture. That's a church that I'm working with right now is we're trying to like really highlight that stuff in their space. And so um, I'm really into it. So this episode asks a lot of important questions clearly, but it also just, I, I found it so helpful to think through these ideas of what's essential, what are non-negotiables, what are we excited about as we look towards you know, a fall and a holiday season that are going to look a little different. Yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, I'm not, I don't know why I say man. I'm such a human. Ugh. I don't know, human. I'm a dude at heart, I guess. Like my dad says, you're just a boy <laughs> in a girl's body. No, um, you And if you were, it'd be fine. I'd be fine with Yeah, totally. Um, my dad is a little homophobic. It's fine. We're working on it. <laughs> <laughs> But I am not looking forward. I never look forward to the holiday season. So I think this COVID Christmas is going to be my cup of tea all by myself. This COVID Christmas. Um, I don't know why that sounded like a song. Mm -hmm. We should be the first to write a COVID Christmas song. All right. I'm on it. Okay, cool. Uh, So, guys, enjoy the episode. I will say this. Please, 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 please leave us some comments. And leave us some voicemails. This week, we don't have any voicemails to share with you because you didn't leave us any. And we want to hear what your favorite space is. Yes, tell us what your favorite space is. And you can do that by going to www.anchor.fm slash making spaces. I got it right. Hey, home run. I did it. got it right for the first time. (laughs) Hey. Uh, and then also, if you could do us the kind favor of leaving a comment, especially on Apple, that's really helpful for us. Share the episodes. Thank you so much for sharing all your, um, we've been, people have been reposting things on our Instagram and that's great. Uh, so we put, we try to put quotes up. We try to do all that. While I was traveling last week, I was terrible at it. Um, but please follow us along and share and let us know what you want to hear more about. If you want to see more videos, we are going to be sharing the entire flipping reno experience flipping gidget which is my um my airstream i named her gidget and yes spoiler alert i ended up buying her and it's been i think it's gonna be great and scary yeah i mean you got a bunch of free labor on my end so yes you're chilling (laughs) i'm chilling all right friends listen to this episode hope that you enjoy it leave us a comment thanks bye bye or hi hi On January 26th, uh, people were like pouring into the parking lot in evening gowns and like these beautiful limousines. And then as I was serving communion, and you know, we see a lot of houseless people. We are a houseless church. So we understand that as being a big part of our identity. Um, But then we also see like, you know, people who are walking their dogs that come by and they're like not offended and confused by that. So they'll stay (laughs) and we'll have like, we'll start with like 20 people and then wind up with close to 50 by the end of the service. And that day was a pretty packed day just because people were walking around and it was like cold and cloudy and you know the Grammys were happening that night. It was sort of exciting. And then my friend walked over as I was serving communion and he whispered in my ear, Kobe Bryant was just killed in a helicopter crash. Oh, I can't hard to believe watched. that was this year. <laughs> Wasn't it like 50 years ago? Sounds like it. Um, and we watched as the crowd shifted from people in black evening gowns to people in purple and gold jerseys, mm. like flooding into the Staples Center. And to be like the parish in the middle of that, that was the most LA thing I've ever experienced. 
was this like, I mean, it's not celebrity culture. I don't mean that, but like, this is a hub where things happen and the world watches. Right. And we were just there in the midst of it, like serving communion to people as they walked by crying, um, just going and standing in the Staples Center. We got there right when they flashed up the graphic around all of the like digital signs that are in the you know plaza outside. Um, it was really, it was really humbling. It was one of the days that I will remember forever. We can't hear you. Oh, you're muted. You probably can now, though. There you are. We should 100% get a you're muted t-shirts for church meetings. Side note, put that in the notes, Josie. Right. Um. <laughs> I like how you pretend to be taking notes. You're such a punk. Um, Welcome to the Making Spaces podcast. Uh, This is Josie. This is Josie. Wherever I am. I'm Sarah. Uh, And we have a podcast about making space for people, both literally and figuratively. And today we are welcoming with us the fantastic Reverend. Mandy McDowell, because there's very few people I can also say Reverend too. So you got that today. Uh, oh. Reverend Mandy McDowell has been a pastor and a lead pastor in several situations, but right now she is the lead pastor of First Los Angeles, right? First United Methodist Church of Los Angeles, which is a church that literally has no walls. And so uh, she's been making space for people in lots of ways through LGBTQIA inclusion through uh, working with folks who are experiencing homelessness, through artists and having artists do um, Advent installs. Uh, Basically, she's at the corner by Staples Center, so she does all kinds of fun stuff to sort of make people aware of social justice issues as well as kingdom of God goodness. So, Mandy, welcome. Hey, Sarah. (laughs) How do you feel about Josie's lipstick? It's the first important question that we have for you. I feel pretty strongly about it, and I'm pretty sure I love it. Yay! Um, yeah. And also the hat, because I feel like it's a stellar combo. It she really described is. her aesthetic earlier as I go ahead, describe your aesthetic. Okay, so what I said was that I feel like this like Mexican modern witch who oh, yeah. is ready to steal your husband and then murder him. Yeah. So like a black widow. Yeah, yeah exactly. But like way more fun. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. I like, make your that's aggressively specific. That is the most yeah. aggressively specific aesthetic. And ladies and gentlemen, this is Josie. Uh, Mandy, we always open up by asking this question. Where is one of your favorite spaces and why? And you can take it as literally or figuratively as you want to. Some people have said things like uh, our mutual friend Rob Lee said he likes space. Um, other people have said things like their beds. Other people have said like places in Europe. So we will be judging you on this statement. I'm just kidding. But yes, what's your favorite space and why? Um, so I, I know I'm supposed to say like where my children are and I love them. Uh, but the real answer is a place I can take them to. My favorite space is uh, Camp Wesley Woods in Townsend, Tennessee, where I grew up. And I went there as a kid for like a zillion years. And I was that annoying kid who was like, I'm going to come back here and work someday and did for five summers and they were like, please stop. Um, (laughs) So I went into ministry and that place is just sacred. Um, If we talk about the thin places where there's like very little space between us and God, that is my thin space. It is where God is so real that it's not a question where faith isn't even work um, because it just felt like the closest place in the world to experiencing uh, a true divine sense of peace and love. That is incredible. I love hearing that. (laughs) And do you get to, have you had a chance to take your kids back? Uh, so, yes, um, they have all been, it has been many years because we moved here from, we lived in Atlanta last and we moved here six years ago. Oh, I don't yes. know how that's possible. Um, so we've tried a couple times, but scheduling is hard, all that. So it's still one of the places I go back when I go home. I always go back to camp. I so. love that. So it's a little bit of a home as well. Yeah. It That's is awesome. Mandy, can you describe a little bit about, um, cause you, again, one of the only people I can say you also like started a church when I restarted a church, like right around the same time. So can you talk a little bit about what makes it like kind of what, what you're thinking around it was and sort of what it offers to the folks of LA recognizing that we're in a time where all of that <laughs> has shifted and changed. <laughs> right. 
Well, I know. I mean, personally, I don't, I don't know how deep of a dive we want to do there, but like personally, I was in a time and place and place truly life where uh, I needed to make some changes. Um, I had moved here from Atlanta. I was super homesick and the work I was doing was really meaningful with really wonderful people, but it wasn't what I could envision myself doing. Um, every year in the Methodist church, we write down like anticipated year of retirement because we like term out at 72 which is weird. Uh, and they you know, literally come and take us. The angels come, yeah. descend, and take us. Did you see that <laughs> somewhere? Me neither, but I understand that's a plot point. Uh, yeah. So I thought, my God, I have like, like 35 more years of this, yeah. and I need to do something that's going to be meaningful. Otherwise, I'm going to get bored and cranky, and I'm not going to be effective. And and I was in a place where I needed to do some really massive soul searching. And as it turns out, which often does, um, you know, Frederick Buechner defines vocation as the place where your deep longing meets the world's greatest need. And so as I was like soul searching, uh, the church in L.A., um, I guess a little bit similarly to your church in Costa Mesa was also going through a really hard time. Uh, that church um, was founded in the 1850s in a bar. So that wins. Uh, it is the oldest congregation, Protestant congregation in Los Angeles. Um, but they did a point where they just, they couldn't, they couldn't make it work anymore. They didn't have a building. They were shrinking in numbers. They had plenty of money because they get revenue from their parking lot being close to the Staples Center, but there was just no real understanding of how to make that into a viable congregation. Um, and I think, Sarah, to answer your question directly, I had lost my damn mind. <laughs> I love this lady. Uh -huh. I just couldn't keep going anymore. I thought, man, like when you're out of things to risk, you can take a lot of crazy risks. So I contacted the bishop and our previous bishop had set this church to close. And I, I wrote our new bishop and said, so I just have a crazy thought. Like, I really want to do something urban uh, in, in a place that doesn't have a building. It's not pouring money into its, you know, property. I just want to do the work. And these are the things I'm really good at, you know, verifiably so. Uh, I think those things could work in downtown Los Angeles. And the bishop, like, immediately set a meeting with me. and was like, yeah, I think you might be right. And then appointed <laughs> me. I mean, it was, you know, shortening the time. But yeah, I, I definitely was in a place where I could take a lot of risks. And this church was in a place that needed someone who was like, all right, let's go crazy. And their willingness to pull themselves out of their grave, um, which is essentially what they did. We called it the oldest uh, new church start because the yeah. church was still existing, but like had to be completely re-evaluated. Like what year were they founded? 1853. That kicks our tail. We were 1912. Right, which is still like super old. Like <laughs> <laughs> it's not young. It is not young. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of tradition to overcome. Mm -hmm. So, Mandy, uh, I have a question for you. Yes, Justin. <laughs> as an LA native, as somebody who loves Los Angeles, how do you compare Atlanta to Los Angeles? What who, pros and cons? Oh, here know. she goes. <laughs> There we go. Uh, utter absolute pro, stellar culinary options in both places. Stellar and multifaceted. I mean, LA, LA kicks everyone's butt there because, um, I mean, if you want to specialize in a certain type of like ethnic food, whatever that means, uh, there will be the greatest restaurant in the world for you. And true. If, if you know someone who knows someone, they'll tell you where it is. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I mean, I think culturally is really what that points to. They are both deeply interesting cultural cities. Yeah. Both of them fraught with, like, racial stuff, uh, with problems with, you know, in, in both cities' instances, a lot of corruption. But also the core of our nation's history has really developed in both places. I sort of see them, in a sense, as sister cities. There's so much that overlaps. I mean, I, as somebody who's been to both cities and lived in one, I totally agree. How do you think that? <laughs> um, how do you think that the LA landscape um, affects your ministry? I mean, being in the heart of Los Angeles, what does that even look like without a building? I mean, LA is just full of buildings. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So the most visceral example I can give was January twenty sixth, twenty twenty which is the day we thought was gonna be the worst day ever. 
Um, and then 2020 just kept happening and we were like, yeah, remember that oh, day? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so that was the day of the Grammys and in our parking lot. So let me go back a little bit. Our church has had a building, like we're not just that weird. They've had actually several um, and they kept like outgrowing them and buying new land and building churches and outgrowing that and buying another piece and then outgrowing that and then they couldn't afford it. And so they had to sell it. They bought our piece of land, which was like in South Park where nothing was. The Staples Center wasn't there. LA Live wasn't there. Um, they just bought an old office building. And we're like, I don't know, we'll make it work. And they did um, until they couldn't. Then they like, were like, oh, the building is so expensive. They tore it down in the early 2000s with the intent to build a church, but they couldn't raise that money. They needed like $6 million and it just didn't happen. So they'd been worshiping in the multi-purpose room of the senior housing facility, um, affordable housing that's like on our property. We have, a, that's a long story. Um, <laughs> so when I got there, one of the reasons we moved from being not viable to being viable was that we just went outside and we set up tents Literally. in our parking lot. <laughs> Literally just like in our parking lot um, and just do the whole thing out there. And it's weird and unusual because I have to think as a pastor, all the stuff that you normally say, um, and, and Josie, even too, to your point, like I'm from the South, but I'm, I'm like a crazy feminist liberal. So like, <laughs> but I know Southern culture and I know the things that play there. And when I moved here, I realized how many things in the religious landscape were so different. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and Sarah, you too, like you've come from another part of the country. There's a lot of adaptation in our language and how we talk about what we do, like even how we understand like our relationship to Jesus or what that means for us practically. Um, so I had to do all that work to figure out how my job, my job that I love, that I authentically believe in um, was going to work outdoors. And on January 26th, uh, people were like pouring into the parking lot in evening gowns and like these beautiful limousines. And then as I was serving communion, and you know, we see a lot of houseless people. We are a houseless church. So we understand that as being a big part of our identity. Um, but then we also see like, you know, people who are walking their dogs that come by and they're like not offended and confused by that. So they'll stay <laughs> and we'll have like, you know, we'll start with like 20 people and then wind up with close to 50 by the end of the service. Um, and that day was a pretty packed day just because people were walking around and it was like cold and cloudy and, you know, the Grammys were happening that night. It was sort of exciting. And then my friend walked over as I was serving communion and he whispered in my ear, Kobe Bryant was just killed in a helicopter crash. Oh, I can't hard to watched. believe that was this year. <laughs> Wasn't it like 50 years ago? I was like it. Um, and we watched as the crowd shifted from people in black evening gowns to people in purple and gold jerseys, like mm. flooding into the Staples Center. And to be like the parish in the middle of that, that was the most LA thing I've ever experienced was this like, I mean, it's not celebrity culture. I don't mean that, but like, this is a hub where things happen and the world watches. Right. And we were just there in the midst of it, like serving communion to people as they walk by crying, um, just going and standing in the Staples Center. We got there right when they flashed up the graphic around all of the like digital signs that are in the, you know, plaza outside. Um, it was really, it was really humbling. It was one of the days that I will remember forever. Yeah, it feels like you are making space for people in their grief and that you not. So I'm imagining if you were a church that had walls, you wouldn't have seen that. You wouldn't have no. experienced that like a visceral experience of here are people grieving. It might be like, oh, those people over there are grieving. OK, now let's plan on what we're going to do. How are we going to get out of these walls and go meet them and be with them? But the difference was in this moment, in this time, you were having to respond to people that were right there. And I think that's the the beauty of, we so often hear, we're supposed to be a church without walls. <laughs> we literally are a church without walls, uh, yeah. which is- Or bathrooms, right? Or like, bathrooms. There's some drawbacks, I'm not gonna lie. During COVID, I'm like, I wish we didn't have bathrooms, man. Figuring that out <laughs> is gonna be <laughs> um, stellar. Although I have to pee every five minutes, so. Yeah, I don't know. I think, are helpful. They're really helpful. Yeah, yeah, I feel like it would be. I think there's this um, theology that is also a statement. Um, one of the things I thought um, I'd love to hear you share about kind of 
opening the church up to people is, can you talk a little bit about your Advent art installs that you've done? Because those have been really cool. Um, yeah, I'm glad you asked about that. Uh, they've been really cool. It's one of those things when you're like in seminary, you're like, you're a church, I'm going to do it this way. And then you're going to do a church and you're faced with people who have always done it a totally different way. And they are right. not interested in your fresh new ideas. Um, I don't mean that in a hostile way. I certainly don't, but it's much, much harder. Yeah. So this church has the unique combination of a very open-minded, um, they were called like the remnant congregation. That seems kind of rude, but there were around 12 people who had just hung in there. Uh, so those 12 folks were, they're like the bravest people I've ever met. Um, I have had a honeymoon phase that's lasted like three and a half years. Like we've never pissed each other off. They have said yes to all kinds of things. And one of the things I went to them and said was, you know, and the first six months I was there, we went to worship in different places every week, except once a month, we would worship in our parking lot. And the other three Sundays a month, we would visit and just see like what's going on. And, you know, Sarah, we came to your church. There was a handful of us that came to worship at Costa Mesa. Um, Because we wanted to see like what's going well, like what are successful people doing? What does it look like in downtown LA? (laughs) Or not the going well and then opportunities. Yes, right, exactly. Like what's missing? You know, what could we offer? Um, And it turned out one of the big missing things in like the shiny glitzy churches was like meaningful outreach. Uh, Like, okay, well, that's kind of in our wheelhouse. Um, the other thing we realized was missing were like real iconography in downtown. Um, there are no churches downtown, none, none. Uh, the only Catholic church uh, in downtown has been, the Vibinia has been turned into like a venue. Um, now I say downtown, I mean like the historic core and South Park, like those areas. So I realized like we could put up a nativity scene and no one else downtown is doing that. Like there's no one else doing it. So we have an opportunity. Everything we do is public theology. That's true for every church, right? Like Sarah, when you put up a banner, that's public theology. Your, your building is public theology. It's true. Yeah. Write that down, Josie. We need another banner. Keep going. <laughs> right? I like how she pretends to type. <laughs> it's like my favorite part of the day. <laughs> I'll remember. Yeah, so we we also had like put up a banner, but you know, with no meaningful like building presence, it was like, how do we define the fact that we're actually a church and what we're about? Because I don't want people to think we're one of those churches, but that's not useful. Um, so we found, you know, my belief was that the nativity story has often been told as, you know, the sweet angelic white lady who gave birth to the son of God amidst, you know, this, yes, serene scene of sheep. <laughs> like, I had three kids. Oh, I guarantee you that is not what any of them like. <laughs> what are you talking about? I am sure Jackson and Cooper and Sloan came out just surrounded by animals. Tiny halos. <laughs> Little um, halos. Yeah. So I approached a friend of mine who um, runs Now Art LA, and I was like, hey, Carmen, I got this crazy idea. I really want to put up some kind of meaningful nativity that demonstrates Mary as being a homeless, non-Caucasian, pregnant teenager who is not yet married. Um, Now, some of those things are easier to depict than others, but really what I wanted to do was create a nativity that represented Mary um, with some theological accuracy and biblical accuracy. And my friend Carmen, who I had met like once, was like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So... Carmen was like, just give me a second. And she contacted uh, an artist who is Israeli who also had a connection to the story because, you know, she was like, that's not what Mary would have looked like. Um, We in turn found a harbor house, which works with homeless, pregnant teenage women, um, gives them housing throughout the duration of their pregnancy and then a year after, um, and found two women who volunteered to be Mary and Elizabeth. And the best part was the woman who portrayed Mary, uh, Ashanti, Ashanti was Elizabeth, um, she, uh, she gave birth. And so Noah, the artist, was able to go back and take more images of her with the baby. So we had this amazing nativity with her, like, hands behind her head. And she has, like, you know, she, her armpits aren't shaved because it's 
2,000 years ago. And mm -hmm. it's like sultry and feminine. And she is like. You are speaking Josie's language. She's just moving oh, around. I'm loving it. Obsessed. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love this. <laughs> Tell me more. Tell me more. Stellar. And then there's like a very traditional Joseph. And then she put these in like black reflective glass. These images of contemporary and ancient figures, children and adults. Um, so there were all these panels that we put up and it was super fragile and definitely got broken. Uh, and we've replaced parts of it. Um, anyway, utterly worth it. Absolutely, totally worth it. It got so much attention for all the right reasons. I mean, it generated just people literally on the streets walking by and being like, I've never seen a nativity like this, which, like whatever itch I have that one like got scratched totally like yes we did something totally unique <laughs> well there's also that sense of like real art um real it should make you a little uncomfortable I mean not it doesn't have to be in your face but it it, it, it should affect you right yeah. um and the story of the nativity I find it so fascinating I, I think you'll you'll relate to this every year at Christmas I'm like I am gonna be creative about this story guys yeah new take nobody comes and they're like i just want to hear like especially right now when people just need to, they need to feel right. this sense of connection to these stories to like something bigger than ourselves and all this sort of stuff but it doesn't mean we can't connect them to something that's a little more honest a little more raw a little more um yeah i think there's just this beautiful opportunity for us to tell a story in a way that says she was not um whatever you think of that story whatever divinity means to you it it should cause you to, when you see art like that the the response is like i don't know if i like that wait a minute why don't i like that oh because it's well, that's real. neat oh we did cool. a we did a so i did a triangle art install at uh, my old church where you when you so imagine boards cut in like a triangle and when you walked in one way it looked like literally a precious moments um like <laughs> literally precious moments nativity yeah but when you walked out of the church it was on that diagonal mm -hmm. so imagine you're going this way it looks like a precious moment guys i know i'm so good at podcasting that i'm using my hands but you can imagine um, yeah. those of you watching on youtube you're welcome um and then if you go the other way it was a pregnant teenager um and it we took the image from a um like a refugee so it was yeah. this like very and the colors were like dark and heavy, but like beautiful. Um, and this was years ago. And so when I saw your uh, your nativity, I was like, oh, yeah, I got to get I love that idea. Um, and that's kind of the idea is to put people in that space of like, I know that sometimes we've been told there's this thing you're supposed to be. Christmas is supposed to look like, you know, all the Hallmark movies. Guys, I wonder what Christmas, side note, uh, what are Christmas movie like, what is Hallmark? Are people going to be wearing masks? Is it just going to be right? a lot of scarves in the movies this year? Anyone? Totally lots of scarves. Yeah, just everyone. Um, but I think people can't relate to that, but people can relate to fear and they can relate to uncertainty and they can relate to maybe I can have hope in something bigger than me. So they see this sort of art piece. Mm -hmm. Um, and we've been talking to like mural artists and people who do public art, but I love the idea of public theology as a way of making people maybe connect to the story in the way that they haven't before, which I think is always the fun work. And it makes us, yeah, not die a little inside because we're having to just keep giving the like, you know, same old. Yeah, I love the idea of telling the truth in a way that is both semi-aggressive, but also <laughs> kind. Um, yeah. As an artist, it's hard to do public works and have them, you know, accurately depict what you're trying to say. But when it comes, especially this political climate, when it comes to Mary and when it comes to Jesus, you hardly ever think about, oh, maybe Jesus was a little shit and he cried all the time. Or, yeah. you know, <laughs> he left his parents when he was 12. And then when they found him, he was like, where do you think I was? Like, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Sure. And maybe like, there was way too much poop in that hay. Maybe the animals were annoying and maybe <laughs> I love this idea, especially when we have this refugee crisis going on in the world, right. Jesus and his family as refugees and having to think about, Oh, what do I think about refugees? 
And what, well, then what do I think about Jesus when I think of him as a refugee? And I mean, especially now in COVID times, everything is so wacky and wild and you have no idea what's going on and Christmas is coming up and people are panicking and Thanksgiving or whatever. And I feel like people are being confronted with the truth of what they believe the holiday seasons are and how it's going to change. And maybe that'll, you know, leave room for people to think differently about the nativity scene again. Yeah, I think that, and you took some walls down, which I think is beautiful by having uh, a church that doesn't have that sort of sense of, I think, you know what else I think it does, Mandy? And I would love to, I've been thinking about this because I think about your, because you and I are such friends and colleagues and we both were crazy at the same time. Um, And we're both ladies. So we have ovaries and we try to be a pastor. It's super weird. Um, But I think about the fact that like your church is a reminder that every church experience is a like once, like it only happens once. This thing that's happening only happens once. And yes, we can record it. And yes, it can. But like this gathered body these certain people, I mean, in some ways it's scary because you're almost doing like performance art, right? Like you're gathering people, yeah. but it's different. And we who have these like established church buildings and that we lose the memory, like, oh, it's just another church service that, um, do you feel like that's been affected where you do start to feel like it's almost like a performance, not in a performances in like, oh, format, what's the word I'm looking for? Josie, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not performative. It's performative. Right? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Write that down. I'm just kidding. I jumped in. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think that's a big piece of it. And like, well, I know, Sarah, you also have like a music and theater background. And there is something to the idea that we have someone's captive attention for an hour-ish every week. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how many people, how many singers said, oh, like the first place I started singing or playing the piano or, you know, discovering this particular performance interest was in church. Because there's a captive audience that is generally pretty affirming of gifts like that, especially in children, right? Like children can stand up and do anything and the entire church is like, yes, that was amazing. So it teaches you that you can take risks with your passion and like teaches you how to read music and introduces you every beautiful sanctuary I've ever been in, which is all sanctuaries, except for that one, which was gross. I'm kidding. Uh, all sanctuaries are like I'm testi- flipping them so don't worry about it we're getting there well they're all testaments to the one thing the church has done well historically other than like teach people about God and stuff which is art like the right. church was the best, biggest benefactor of art throughout all time uh, temples were built hired architects created these things that were meant to last forever and because it's for god it's got to be the most amazing thing in the world and you know they kind of are uh yeah. i want to be annoyed by the fact that buildings are such a you know nonsense thing to have to keep up with but honestly they are sacred beautiful spaces yeah if they're it, it's kind of this if they're sort of un like like unleashed and by that i mean like so many church communities have have that thing you're talking about well we've always done it this way this is what it looks like i just went and did a consulting thing with a church uh and like the building uh it's just really cool architecturally it like leans towards almost like an art deco like it has some really cool piece like really cool but they um, gild the lily, as my mother would say, by having a lot of doily items yes. in the church. Uh, and what was interesting is I was trying to explain that I always explain the theology of space and place to like when I meet with committees. Um, so I'm meeting with this committee of people. Mm-hmm. They're super open to changing things, but they're like, well, what will the older people think and whatever? And I start talking about the aesthetics and I'm like pointing out the things that are lovely in their church. And they're like, oh, mm-hmm. what? I'm like, that's an Andrew Lloyd Wright nod. That The way they did this roof is literally a nod to Andrew Lloyd Wright. And it's beautiful. And this uh, younger guy who's on their committee, who's fantastic, um, I, you know, I was saying, but you know, the thing is when you come into a church space like this, where we've got doilies and we've got a lot of things that are put on top of it that um, really date it it actually suggests that this is not the space for someone like this young man or whatever. Right. And he said, he looked at me and he said, I didn't think anyone would get that. 
He's like, yeah, I came in and I only stayed. Like it took me a long time to feel like there was a space for me here. I only stayed because I I like knew people and I thought I could help. He's like, but I think so many people my age or whatever come in and go, oh, this is the place I go once a year to remember what my family did when we were Mm -hmm. children, right? And I think that's the reason I'm so passionate about space making and that, and I love like even the work you do to kind of like remind people that like, no, no, like we're the center of art, but the art doesn't have to remain the same, right? Like if it's a new piece of art, but it's reminding us of our heritage as artists and um, I think it's Rob Bell who calls preachers, um, he calls them poets. And and yeah. and I think it's true. Like you, you don't realize how much like it really is an art form to to do this work in a weird way of making space for folks. Um, when I'm thinking too about the way that space becomes static, right? Yeah. Which is your point and probably the battle you face a lot is convincing people that the things that are constant and static um, can actually be adaptable and retain right. their um, and I guess I didn't really answer your first question, which was like, because our space is ever changing, even to the extent that there would be days we'd show up in the parking lot and it would turn out that like no one told us, but it had been rented by production companies to park all their trailers. So one day we had like an insane number of people. Like I was like, where do these people come from? That day in church, it just happened sometimes. It was the same day that like, just trailers took up two thirds of the lot and people couldn't even find us. Like, I mean, we had to like shuffle people around be like, we're over here uh, because we were tucked away in a place where no one could see us from the corner. So our space is sort of bizarrely not static, but also like it's really liberating because there's a handful of things that if they don't show up or if they don't happen uh, would be really strange. It's one of the reasons we do in every week is that when everything else is not ritualized, there are a handful of things we can do that will be. So you can guarantee you're going to have communion, a sermon, not in this order, a sermon, and then like see some folks. But it's never clear who those folks are going to be. One Sunday, BTS was giving away, like their merch store opened at 9 a.m. And <laughs> there were literally thousands of people lined up around the block. And I was like, putting all these people in my stats. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they are lining up for church, clearly. We have 2,000 people in church today. Um, yeah, so it's it's made me more clear on the things that are are not uh, negotiable. Ah, I love that. Yeah, yeah, making space for the things that are not negotiable. Making It's almost like you're clearing the deck, yeah. right? Like you're cluttering, declutter, which is another one of my love languages is decluttering. Right? I say I don't want to leave any church closet unturned. Literally, metaphorically, physically, like everything gets out of the closets. Let me clean them out. Um, Everything needs to be honest and open. And and I think that's the thing you have really said, okay, what is the fundamental, why are we gathering? Because sometimes people don't ask that question. Yep. Why, why are we gathering? Should we be gathering? And I think COVID, yeah, COVID-19 has helped us ask the question, like, why? Why yeah. are we gathering? What are you missing? What is, are people going to miss it? And I think there, we have a lot of clergy colleagues who the biggest fear is that people aren't because maybe the thing they were gathering for isn't a thing that, you know, it's this interesting, what is the essential of mm-hmm. all of this? Um, I just love it. Are you, do you have any plans for Advent? Oh God. I, you know what, to, to that very point, I've had a really hard time thinking about it. Like I, we made it through Easter and Holy Week. Like, you know, that was like a week, right? And so we could just fuck it up and be like, okay, it's going to be different. We adapted. I have not been able to emotionally wrap my head around Advent being online. And it's not that I want to gather again. In our environment, some people have said like, oh, you're outside. Like, can't you just meet? Well, no, because we don't have a church parking lot. We're just a parking lot. So there's no defined way to keep us, um, like to keep people safe. Mm. And we only have seven tents. And if we meet according to regulations, like that's seven people. And with the, why, to your point, why, right. why would we do that? We're reaching more people online. We've had people join the church online. Um, so I... I don't know. I think this is a big task that I'll probably be processing with you later. 
Yeah, I almost, to do Advent. So Josie, um, which we shared earlier, uh, so Josie had a great loss this week of her cousin was actually murdered. And um, actually, Josie, Mandy is one of the pastors that I sent that to, to be like, hey, I need you to pray for my friend because this is heavy, heavy, heavy business. Mm, and uh, it's been interesting just to have that like, okay, it, it even more so means that like we weren't as in touch as we normally are last week. And one of the lovely, poor Josie has to put up with me all the time. <laughs> what are you doing right now? I miss you. Um, but one of the lovely surprises for me on Sunday was she does a great job of editing our videos. Mm-hmm. Um, was that so liturgy, the work of the people for us, what we've discovered is that that's really key for people. Even when I was like, Oh, do we really need to do this? Like a call to worship when you're online, people are like, yes. And so we talked about how the work of the people really different people have been doing it from different homes. And then we send in the video and we make it one. So even when I preach from the church, elements of the service are coming from different people's homes. And this week, Josie didn't tell me, um, a guy who joined our community who has just had really difficult church experiences. He joined Mm -hmm. our community through Instagram and theology on tap that I do has been just so much fun to do church with since this thing. He did the call to worship, which was a surprise to me. And I kept thinking like, that's the work of the people, but like, this is why we gather. And, um, it was just the, co- and I love at the end when he was like, he, he gave a peace sign at the end again, Sarah, this is not a visual medium. Um, but I, I, <laughs> I'm, it's, I'm the coolest. Um, I think there's just this beautiful, profound moment for me in that of just being like, Oh, this is why we do it. And this is why we can do it differently than we've ever done it before. Um, and I, I, I don't want to rush. I'm realizing we are gathering. Like, I don't yeah. want to say almost regathering because we are gathering. Um, and I think as we think about Advent, I'm actually going to be using, we're going to be interviewing him soon. I just got up on our calendar, but um, my friend who's an artist has created this whole series about Advent and anxiety. And he has, oh, I know. That's um, what I'm doing for Advent, actually. I'm just going to borrow that series. Just <laughs> do it. Seriously. He's offering it to people. Just do it. Um, but it's this beautiful thing of like, okay, that's what people need right now. And if, how can we Mm -hmm. respond? But it's so hard. I think when we're in the midst of it, it's hard to create when you're in the midst. Yeah. Well, and that's Mm -hmm. the whole thing about making space too. Is like, well, if you're anyone who is creative and right now we're being asked to like innovate, like hell, like just (laughs) whatever you're doing, make it innovative, make it innovative. Something no one's ever thought of. Also, we're going to take away everything that's normal and start you with nothing. Ready? Go. Do you have a yeah. budget? Absolutely not, because the world is falling down, and it may end in two months. So hurry. <laughs> so the pressure cooker of innovation is like it's so terrifying. I spent like three months, as did most people, just like like as a mole person, where I just <laughs> and pants and kind of cried and didn't eat anything other than white foods. And then sometime <laughs> around June was like, okay, this is not a solid way to keep up yeah you're one uh, of the first people i deem old for it you were on my patio and it was yeah. just like hello human <laughs> like, we were really far <laughs> apart and i remember we kept saying how did we do this like we had masks but we were on my patio and we had wine and we weren't sure what to do it was <laughs> did not do it. it was i mean so i think like every creative person now and i got i, I like every time someone puts out an album like fiona apple dropped that album and i was like how did she do that? She like in the thick of night when no one was expecting it, put out the most genius work of art I had heard forever. And all I did was listen to it on repeat because I was turning into a crazy person (laughs) and then seeing like, okay, no, Taylor Swift's put on an album and Beyonce made a movie. And I, the racial stuff also of like, how do you innovate in a way as a white person who is like a good white person trying to do meaningful things? Like, how do you continually ensure that you're a meaningful part of the conversation by creating work for the people who have borne the burden already, also lead a congregation and then come up with like a really cool plan for Abby? Yeah, uh, no. I think the space that we all need is to germinate. Yeah. And that's what we didn't get was time for those seeds to just like chill and then wait and see. And none of us had the patience or time for that germination to occur.
that's 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 Advent. That's what we're doing. Well, and that's exactly what Advent is, though. I know. I mean, it's I supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about waiting, right? It's supposed to be about waiting and not. I mean, we are, gosh, I remember the first week when it became obvious that this was going to be longer than it was supposed to be. And I listened to a lot of podcasts about like doing things, uh, you know, getting things done and uh, being an entrepreneur because my side stuff of doing church decorating, if you want to call it that, that really makes me sound like a granny. I love it. Um, Redesign or (laughs) yeah, I make the doilies. Uh, Banners. Mm -hmm. I don't do banners. I do tell you to stop doing the ugly ones. Uh, And we, you know, I felt like, oh my gosh, if I don't produce, 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 produce during this time. Um, But I'm also feeling like I was going through a breakup and I'm going through all the stuff and I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my whole being. And I think listening to that stuff just made me feel more and more like, ah, you know, and I I don't think it gave us space to recognize like, this is going to be weird and it's going to be weird for a while. And then something beautiful will grow out of it. But if you tried to like grow it too quickly, which I think is this thing for church planting too, or making space for people, if you try to do it too quickly, or if you try to do it in a way that is very, I'm not saying don't be planned, but I yeah. am saying don't be planned. You can't, you cannot predict what will happen. I couldn't have predicted our community. If you, all the things I thought would work, the small group ministry, my people are like small groups, no thanks. <laughs> like, yeah. They're not for it. Um, theology on tap will show up, maybe. Yeah. Um, and then often they do show up, right? So it's like the moment I try to manipulate space, there's a difference yeah. between making space and manipulating space. Yep. And I think what I love about what you're doing is that you're constantly just saying, okay, what is this now? Okay, what is this now? And it's really hard because our metrics aren't, we're told we have to like turn in metrics and blah, 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 and do the thing. And like, I think so many weeks, one of us will call the other one or whatever and be like, I think it's done. Check <laughs> <laughs> it out. It's well, over. And the thing I've, I've tried to do is like, I'm going to say this and then I'm going to, I'm, I'm aware that I'm lying yeah say it anyway and i don't believe in aspirational mission statements that's a true thing i really think that they're like can we curse on your podcast hell yeah yeah i think they're bullshit and i don't have time for aspirational mission statements so i try to hold our work to what is legitimately attainable and truthful so instead of being like we're gonna convert downtown they're gonna love jesus like bullshit i don't care and to say out loud as a church planter or even a pastor that like i honestly don't care about growing my church that's a terrible thing i don't want the bishop to hear but it's also true because that means i've somehow taken hold of the outcome that is not mine like oh. that outcome is is only god's right all i can do is facilitate an environment where people can access information, uh, testimonies, the means of grace, and hopefully a half-decent sermon to help them on their journey. But I stopped caring a long time ago. Uh, Well, caring. Of course I care. Um, Like, I'll tell you if I had a great Sunday, but I won't tell you if I didn't. Uh, (laughs) I'm trying to stop caring about, like, growing my church or the internalized anxiety around, like, who's here and who's not here? Why aren't they here? They're mad at me. Because it was so pointless. And that's so real, but are they mad at me? When you are a church planner and people don't show up where, like, for me, especially and probably for you too, I work with so many deconstructed people that they may not be coming because this is the Sunday that they go, I can't do this again for a while. And it has nothing to do with what you've done. It has nothing to do with what it's even occurred in here. It has to do with my story, my thing, what's happening. And they may come back, but guess what we think? What did I do? Yeah, right. it was me. I definitely did something. It's hard not to take it personally. So, yeah. yeah. And I find that most people's like rationale and reasoning, uh, there's a handful of people who will tell you if it's you. And then most people like it's, it's their own stuff. Like, well, why am I inserting myself in your stuff? That is your baggage. And I will help you like carry it if you ask for help nicely. Uh, But I certainly didn't pack those bags for you. So no, no. Josie's just loving this. I just love her nodding her head going, yes, no, you didn't. Um, She's a super healthy eight on the Enneagram. So she's just, (laughs) yeah. 
all the goodness of being like, that's not your stuff. Cause I'll be like, everything is my fault. And she's like, no, it's not. Mm-hmm. Don't be no. weirdly like narcissistic. This is not your baggage. Yep. <laughs> it does not have your luggage tags on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's a good like side effect of COVID is people are realizing that you don't have to carry things for people. I mean, a distance has a lot to do with it, but now it's like you, I don't have to carry your stuff. I don't have to, I can place these boundaries because I have room to place these boundaries now. And people are so training themselves to continue that practice after COVID, hopefully, right? And especially in the church. I mean, I've met so many people because I went to a small Christian university. Um, Yeah, congratulations, Mandy. You're the only one who didn't go to APU that we've talked to lately. I don't know why. We just had a lot of APU artists. Like every artist we talked to, part of their story was they went to APU. Yeah, I've been there to visit. I taught a class there. Hope that helps. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's fine. Uh, <laughs> it's its own thing. Like that's its own world with its own yes. thinking. And and some people come out of it saying, "I'm done. I'm never going back." Mm-hmm. And you can't blame them. And now in COVID, people are realizing, like, "Oh, I don't really like the church I go to, or I don't really agree with what they're saying." And now that everybody's online, I they can identify with people in places that are different. And they can connect with people that are different, just like our friend, Bob, who was calling the worship this week. He found a community online. And I think that's a blessing that COVID brought amongst all the not blessings. (laughs) Yeah, I hope it's like one of these things, too. I want to challenge all of us to open our spaces up whenever that happens, that that these people who, because I think we do need proximity with people who are different than us. So I don't think, I don't mm-hmm. want people who, to have just been able to like church shop in like an actual like Amazon style um, church yeah. shopping, right? But I want us to be able to be aware again that if we surrender the outcome and say, this isn't up to me, um, it's so much more, I don't know. It just, there's so much to offer. Mandy, you have been such a delight to talk to you. We always end it with this question. And it's a huge question. We know we do a big question at the start and a big question at the end. But the big question we asked at the end is, is there one tangible way that someone who's listening, um, whether they are a church person or not, because we have all kinds of different, we have people in Norway listening to us. Have you ever looked at the graphics, by the way, of who listens to us and where they are? It's really fun. There's like Norwegians, Scandinavians, those are new regions. I don't know. Um, The the thing we ask is if this person is listening, what is one tangible um, thing that people can do to make space for someone else? It's Just really answer good. that question. Yeah. <laughs> Would <you> say? <laughs> What's one tangible thing you can do to make space for somebody else? Um, I think, and this is a philosophical space, it's appreciating the fact that someone else's joy doesn't remove your own Ooh. yes of a, a, that's pretty succinct and i it stems from some other things i've been thinking about but like the finite resources in our life are time mm-hmm. m- money and time basically it's time we have a finite amount of time uh we have an infinite amount of emotion mm. and i think so much of the conflict that boils over um, is based in this like inherent judgment. Okay, so that's really what it is. What can I do to make space for someone else? What can anyone do to make space for someone else? It's to truly eliminate the language of judgment. So Mm. someone tells you that they love or enjoy something, instead of assuming that it's, you know, worth criticism, uh, assume that it's worth investigation. Tell me about that. What do you love? that and the invitation to um like i think i'm assuming that the world watches Shit's creek especially after they won everything last week it's the yep, best it's my people that canadians world, are coming canadians the canadians uh dan levy intentionally created a world where homophobia doesn't exist yeah and i thought that's such like a good training ground to show people and not that homophobia is the only form right like there's judgment around literally everything right now but it, it gives vocabulary to talking about things that are typically um, controversial. So instead of a character saying, I met somebody and he's great as like a male character, uh, the response is not, oh my God, he's a man. The response is, when do we get to meet him? 
Right. And even the assumptions on that show, I just, I I don't want to give away too much, but there's all these assumptions about um, how other people are going to feel about sexuality on there. And then the people don't feel that way. And I love that. It's like the opposite judgment, right? Of like, oh, my parents are going to be really upset and the parents are more upset that they didn't know. Um, Yes. And not, not that the person is or not. It's just this beautiful, I want to live in Schitt's Creek. I'll be honest. Um, It's such a good show. Uh, and if they want to sponsor us, that'd be great. If Dan wants to come on the show and we can talk about making space and talk about being Canadian and how we have very solid eyebrows, all of us. Um, I (laughs) look at you. Uh, I am so grateful for you coming on. I'm so grateful for all of our listeners, friends, as always, we want to remind you that you can leave us a voicemail. You heard some at the start of the episode by going to www.anchor.fm slash making spaces Josie's so proud of me I always say that wrong also you can subscribe uh, to us on all the ways that you catch your podcasts what else can they do to keep in touch with us Jones you can find us on Instagram at making spaces podcast at make little at making spaces podcast you can email us if you hate us or love us at making spaces (laughs) podcast at gmail.com and if you hate us i'll respond to you aggressively so be careful you can find us on youtube at youtube.com slash rev sarah heath that is again rev sarah heath don't forget two h's and also now we've just started a facebook group for people who are space makers So we haven't done anything with it yet. We literally just made it. Um, So you can help us make our space on Facebook. I am not a Facebooker. Is that what we even say? I'm not a tweeter nor a Facebooker. I like Twitter. I don't know what to do on there. So it'll be fun for us to have that community, but we just want to like open a space for people to talk about making spaces, artists, making spaces, community makers, pastors, rabbis, whatever you are. Um, We just want to talk about businesses that are making space for other people and just provide a platform for that. So that is that. So we will catch you next week. And we are Josie. That's your line. Oh my gosh. I spaced and I forgot it. Saving a space for you. Saving a space for you. I said it. Okay. Let's try it again. Uh, We'll catch you next week where we will be saving a space for you. Oh, you're so cute.